when there's change or when there's something that doesn't go our way and we need to modify our viewpoint, grace is the oil that makes it happen. And without grace, the world's pretty grim. And people extended us grace. I mean, we've all been extended grace. And I've come to see grace, AKA forgiveness, is the core of so many things and of core of creativity and innovation because nothing is innovated just the first time, right? That's it, our first idea, right? We're gonna do the whole thing smooth. No, it's lots of bumps and bobbles and mistakes along the way that are actually learning points. My guest today is Dr. Karen Tilstra. She is a published author, a founder, and president of The Creativity Effect. And she's a real driving force in the innovation sector. She's got two TED Talks. We're gonna include those links in the show notes as well. And she's got 14 years under her belt. She's established innovation labs for healthcare, sports, government, universities, and this includes Fortune 500 collaborations. I wanted to bring her on the show because innovation is something we all strive for in our workplaces. And it's a word that is thrown around a lot. And it's not just a checklist. Karen's written one book in particular called The Death Line. We're going to be talking all about it in the show. And she's also got a new book that was just released in August. You will hear us talk about her methodology. What is the death line? Why did she use such a provocative term? And by the end of the show, you should be walking away with some really practical insight that can help you be more creative. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, today's Evolve podcast brings us our guest, Dr. Karen Tilstra. Karen, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Well, I believe you're you're tuning in here from somewhere in the southern U.S., if I'm not mistaken, correct? Orlando, Florida. And I always love talking to, to Canadians, and you're probably in a cooler climate right now, so I love that. Well, I'm actually not in a cooler climate because even though it's October, it's like 28 degrees out and I'm just kind of giggling because I'm wearing a tank top and you've got like a sweater on. Yes, I do have a sweater on because my husband... Put the air conditioning on? That's 69 in the house and I'm I'm always kind of cold. So I thought, okay, I'll act like it's really nice fall (laughs) at the time. But if I step outside, I got to take the sweater off. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's unseasonably hot here. uh, So we'll take it though. We'll take it. Yeah. Actually, it's cooler here than normal, even though it's still hot. So yeah. Yeah. So I don't recall where we met or how we came together, but I know um, we talked several months ago and you shared your book with me, The Death Line. (laughs) And that's what we're going to talk about today. And and The Death Line, bomb, 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 right? I know there's a reason you called it that. But before we before we dig into the content of this book, I'd love for you to share how innovation, because I know you work in the space of innovation and creativity. How did your work start there? And why did you want to do work in that space? Well, that's a fun um, journey for me to recall and think about. I was an educational psychologist for years, working in all levels of education, and, and eventually getting to universities where I worked 10 years uh, as, as a university educational psychologist. And it was during that time that I think I had a culmination of all my experience up to that point that I saw at the university level, students, faculty members, even parents came into my office. And there seemed to be a central theme. I'm just doing this major just to make money, 
I thought I'd like teaching these courses and I'm just so tired and I know it's not my passion. Parents saying, I'm so excited my student or my child is going to college because they're going to be able to start a new career. I just wish I could do that. I kept hearing things like living for the weekend. Mm. I'm just getting through if I'd only known. And I thought, wow, my interventions for as an ed psych did not meet those needs. It just fell short. Even in some career counseling, I felt there was something way more that people needed and that there was a theme running through everybody. I want to be who I really am. Mm. And then I had this unique, I'd gone to a new university. My husband had had the opportunity to work in a large healthcare system. And then, so we moved from the North to the South and I was in this new university and the president asked me to go back up to Chicago and attend a this seminar on the transformative power of creativity. And I thought, oh, wow, that sounds awesome. So I went and I had no idea that my quest of that I was feeling so inadequate in the ed psych field was soon to be answered. So I walked in because DeWitt Jones was the keynote speaker. DeWitt yep. Jones was a National Geographic photographer forever. So he was in his later years. And I walked in just at the just as he was starting, and so I was all this huge auditorium I was sitting in. I was all the way at the back. In fact, I was resting my head against the wall, so I could just I had a vision of the whole place. He entertained us with all kinds of stories, from balancing in trees to get pictures of lions to hunkering in canoes in Africa to photograph hippopotamuses. And it was scary, and it was everything he wanted to do, but it was so scary. And he had to push past that. And he, I, he said, I use my creativity, my inner creativity, my creative drive, my passion to show the world these awesome photos. I had to really embrace my fears. And he mm. went on about that. And then he said to the audience, and we're talking about thousands of people, he said, those of you who would like to embrace your creative self, your true creative passion, stand up. So everyone just stands up. I stand up. And then he pauses and looks around and says, this is awesome. He said, this is amazing, all you people. Then he said, now, those of you that actually are doing it remain standing. The rest oh. you sit down. So there was just this slow slumping of people. The, and there was such a significant change. What had been an exciting jump to the feet, people were saying, yes, I want that, to, oh, no, I don't have it. So in that moment, it was just like a gestalt. I just said, wow, that's it. I need to learn this whole world of creativity, the theories, what does it mean? Why is it transformational? And I was so excited. I just got up and left, went out and called my husband and said, I know what I need to do. I need to really learn creativity and what it means and how it affects the human spirit and all that. So I was able to enroll the doctoral program and create, actually, we had to kind of create a program because there was not really a, a doctoral program at that point on creativity and innovation. So okay. we were under the umbrella of leadership. Anyway, I went to the program. It was awesome. I studied partly at University of New York, University of Alberta, Stanford, and University of Denmark. And it was just an awesome journey. And I learned so much about creativity and it's, it's complete and that it's in our DNA. It's everything we are is creative. Right. And everything. and we can adapt to change and we can yes. we can learn and grow. And so so you did that doctorate and then 
you left the educational world and went into the business sector. I understand. <laughs> and that was just an interesting, because I didn't necessarily plan to leave the educational world. But when I was done with my doctorate, people had been hearing about what I was doing. And so at that time, a large healthcare system was just wanting to get into innovation. And I had learned by that point that innovation was the outcome of creativity. And we say innovation, okay. everyone says innovation. If you say creativity, it's like, oh, I don't want to color or finger right. paint. Right, right. But innovation's like the leadership, yeah, like the corporate the way we can say it. Punch. Yeah, it's like, well, I'm innovative. But I learned from all the research, and there's a lot of, lots and lots of research on creativity, that we're all creative. So I developed this mantra that I just, everybody's creative with leadership potential. And yep. people say, not me, not me. I said, no, everybody's creative with leadership potential, everybody across the board, no right. matter what. So this healthcare system had heard what I was kind of in the field and they came to me and said, what could we do? And so we started to create a design thinking innovation lab, kind of modeled yep. up at Stanford. They were just getting theirs going. And it was so, it was so exciting and dynamic because we based it on the fact of the idea that we were going to be low barrier and easy access yep. and let's let it be a, a place where anybody could come and bring a challenge or learn. And that kind of pushed against the, got a lot of corporate thought that a lot of the decisions and, and knowledge just sits at the top. But this is how can we get everybody involved at supporting the aspirations and the goals of the organization. And it was okay. so inspiring. The journey was just full of learnings and connections and collaborations and the wonderful things that that lab was able to produce and allow people to produce and the culture change it brought about. And so then I started to realize if people can learn the theories or some of the simple things of creativity, they can open up their teams or their families or themselves to collaboration, creativity that leads to innovative change. And so, and so people were physically coming into the innovation lab to do yes. this work, which and I'm guessing sounds... informed some of the work in here, which we'll get to. Yeah. Yes. And, and so, and so I just want to like, cause I, I'm, I'm really, I want to put this into context for the folks who are listening that, you know, your work was sought after by corporate healthcare. And I know into some other corporations yeah. to yeah. help solve the big problems that they needed to moving ahead. And there's no shortage of problems or need for creativity and innovation out there right now. Right. At all. Right. And we have in it since then, I've worked with government agencies, pro sports, universities, NGOs, you name it. Everybody has the same right. desire. We got to be innovative. But just because the way the Western world kind of operates, because we're very much getting things done and profit driven and capital, yep. society, which is maybe not a bad thing, but it also sometimes creates blind spots into how we can be creative. So yeah, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I'm being gracious. <laughs> yeah, I won't be. It creates blind spots. Okay, we can, <laughs> Massive I've always ones. said, you know, when you get involved in innovation and uh, creativity, you could create comedy shows left and right. There's just so much humor <laughs> in it. So many ways. <laughs> 
Yeah. And so that led to you, like your, your model here with the four aces and the death line. And so we're going to talk about the title in a, in a second, but can you just describe, yeah, describe the death line? Cause you know, your title is called the death line, stopping the number one all time killer of human potential. So you know what, let's just go right there. Why did you call it the death line? I know you were provocative on purpose, but can you share with people what is the death line and why did you call it something so (laughs) jarring? Yeah, people say, what were you thinking, Karen? I was scared to read your book. No, the death line, I'll describe it very simply. The, the, The death line is an imaginary line we draw and vow we'll never cross it. Because if we cross it, we're gonna get rejected, be embarrassed, get fired all whole just tons of things that we don't want to experience yep but in reality it might not happen but we have created these lines invisible lines either consciously or subconsciously that we believe keep us safe and maybe they do if we don't want to create anything new or we would we don't want to live to our full potential but in reality these lines inhibit us they block our potential. And we begin thinking, once we create these lines, again, either subconsciously or consciously, we begin thinking that's how we have to be and we stay safe and we're gonna be successful. But really, these deadlines block us and they block others too. I, I love the point that you said, they block others as well. They not yeah. only block ourselves, but they block others. And they put defenses up. And again, I wanna really emphasize it's invisible and we believe we're doing the right thing. Right. The reason I called it the death line is because I saw things died there. Mm. Say more. What kind of things die there? Potential, opportunity, relationships, collaborations, maybe new ideas, culture, innovative culture or a collaborative culture. All dies at the death line. And I had started developing a theory about this death line working with lots of different organizations and top leaders, middle management, middle managers, frontline staff. And I started to notice when we took them through, say, a design thinking experience or helped them facilitating them through a challenging project. Everything was great until comfort zones were exited. And it's like then all mm. of a sudden, we're, um, you know, that idea we had, no, we, we better pull way back. That's never going to work or we tried that and I started seeing people shut down and if top leaders shut down, frontline staff shut down. And then I also noticed the closer conversations or groups or the activities we were doing got close to people's death lines, the worse their behavior became. They opted out, they shut down, they became defensive, narky, they blocked things. And so I just started noticing it. And then I started experimenting with different groups, kind of pushing them to the edge and seeing what would happen. I mean, pushing them to the edge in a safe zone. Let's think of the one. Yeah, yeah. "Hmm, We better not. That's scary. So I mean, not pushing them like to the edge of a precipice, but it was just the same. They felt the same. Like, I can't, I'm going to fall over. And, And then when I was able to create the name, when I got the name, I saw it so clearly. I said, these are just lines you guys die on. It's just, and you believe that you, you've done the right thing, but a lot, a lot died at this moment. Then as I've gone forward, when I say we block others is, our death lines then activate other death lines and pretty soon we have a web of death lines going everywhere. Right. And that's why I've seen creativity gets hampered, innovative ideas never get launched, conversations that needed to happen never happened, 
people stay stuck, they become critical or cynical. And I think that we all have innately in us born with curiosity, compassion, and courage. As you see children, little children go from laying on their stomachs to crawling to walking, that, that's curiosity and courage. And somehow yep. we, it's easy to lose that as we go along the way in life. It is. It really, it really is. You know, I was, I, I know when we talked about it, I was like, oh, this sounds great. And then I got the book. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> but I will say it is, it, it does, it does make it real really fast and not in a morbid way in a very like, damn, this is a death line. And it just, no. it, it, so yeah, like kudos to you for sticking <laughs> with it. I'm going to guess many people tried to convince you not to do no. it. They said, Karen, this is this book. Well, they said, it's going to look like a novel. It's good. I said, you know what? Actually, I had to combat my own death lines, honestly. Writing the book, naming the book, and, and publishing the book. Because it's like, people, what if they don't like it? Or what if they tell, tell I was too morbid? And I said, I said, you know what? It's fine. Move on. Yeah. And then writing the book, it's like, this, is, this seems so stupid. Everybody knows this. And, you know, you have to, you actually really do have to combat deathlines all the time. You get rid of one deathline, another one comes up. And so then I thought, no, I'm going to go ahead and put it out. And I beta, beta tested it. Well, I've been using this theory for several years before I wrote the book and testing it out on lots and lots of people. But then when the book published, <laughs> I said, oh, wow, I can't even think about what, what bad reviews I'm going to get. I mean, it's so crazy to me, to me to think I was so focused on myself that people would even take the time to write a bad review. People can hardly take time to write a good review. Yeah. So, <laughs> just at that time, I had heard an interview on, on a series, Jim uh, Kaczynski, you know, the guy that used to be on Jim on the Howard. Oh, Howling yeah, John Kaczynski. Kaczynski. Yeah. And when he created the movie The Quiet Place, it, it's kind of a horror movie, a little quasi-horror. He talked about how scary it was when he had the idea. He said, I was certain everybody would laugh. And so I held back and then they didn't laugh. And then... With the, we got the movie together, and then the day it was launched in theaters or online, I'm not sure which one it was, he said, I could hardly go out of my house. I was so freaked out. What if I got criticized? What if I was, you know, shunned from ever making another movie? He said it was so real. I had to, so his wife, Emily Blunt, evidently encouraged him. You know, it's Jim. Again, even if they do, it's not the end of the world. So, or John, his name is not Jim. John, yeah. Yeah. And I, that actually, that interview gave me a lot of courage. In fact, I wanted to write him a letter and say it really gave me courage what you said, because it it just it was just very encouraging. It's such a good example that when we put ourselves into when we when we move through the fear and we put something out that we believe in, it inspires other people whether or not they let us know or not. And and so when we cross our own death lines, and we learn how to navigate through them it does bring a momentum and a shift for everyone around. And so that's, I think that's, it's just power to know, powerful to know that when we can face our own fears, others come right. along with us. And the language giving, I found that when people have the word deathline, it gives them a way to talk about it that's in front of them. Right. It's kind of outside of them in a way like, oh, that's my deathline. Yep. I was working with a large um, government agency and I, I was teaching this thought and they said, well, we're using that word a lot. 
in our meetings now. Is that your death line? Or I'm, you're activating my death line. I did not know that at first, that it would give people an easier way to talk about their vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So then I got the idea. I wish we could get the word death line in our vernacular all the time, because I think it would help us move past those places where we're really vulnerable and afraid that it's too risky to move forward right. across the death yeah. line. And comfort, you know, you used uh, an interesting term there too, exiting out of our comfort. You didn't say comfort zone. It was a fun way to say it. I'm curious if you've seen, before we dig into the ACEs, because I want to go there next to the ACEs. I'm curious if since 2020, you know, the year the world changed with so many different things, have you, what what impact on death lines have you seen? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, both ways. I've seen people become more polarized over issues around COVID vaccine. And does that mean like putting their death line into place earlier or like they're, they're just unwilling to cross over it when you say polarized? I think it could be both. Okay. So what I saw is there were people that didn't know what was happening. And so some became curious, let's find out, let's, let's keep abreast of everything and keep open. And I saw other people become so this is a fake or this isn't true or this Dr. Fauci is a total um, fraud. Whatever the case is, I would encounter people that would, would really share with me, you know, this is just all crazy. And I noticed two things. I noticed that when a situation confronts them like never before, like COVID did for us, there are people who will step into it and say, let me find out what's going on. So they, I think they have a probably a healthier, I don't want to say healthier, they have more skill in pushing Mm. out of their comfort areas and say, let me learn. There are people when a scary situation comes that they're either preconceived death lines or they're, that they didn't know they had, or their fear, so curiosity, compassion, and courage collapses because I got to be safe. Yeah. And this is all new to me and I can't, I can't do it. So the natural response was, I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to yeah. change. I don't want to learn anything. So what I noticed, it was really more of one world view, whatever the view was. This is how I'm going to be. And everyone else is wrong. And I didn't notice anyone that was a bad person. I, I saw what was happening was out of, I am protecting myself, my family, and I don't have to learn because this is dangerous and I already know it's dangerous. Right. And I guess that's what you could say was a death line. But again, what I the reason I called it a death line is because people at that point of stress were not saying, let me see, how can I be better at this point? Because you really can't right. during a crisis. So when the crisis happens, don't try to teach. I tell that to parents. Yep. Teach, yep. Just get through the crisis, then teach in a calm time. Right. So that was a crisis. And teaching for a lot of people couldn't happen. Because yep. they were their death lines were so activated. I'm not crossing it. I'm pulling back. Everything I know, I already know. And I'm not going to learn anything new. Because it's too scary. Right. Now, I don't know for a lot of people what the scary things were. But what happened in COVID was, is just a very, on a very grand scale, what happens in a, pop, a lot of people's lives, in different times of their lives. 
I'm just thinking of like something like most par all parents face at one point in time if their kids are in normal development, uh, mm -hmm. their kids getting driver's licenses. I've seen parents freak out and delay and a lot of stress. Yep. Other parents I've seen, this is a new thing for us. We're going to do everything we can to make it safe and we're going to take all the precautions and then we're going to celebrate our child driving. And so I think every point in life, everything, death lines can be there. And it's our, it's depending on what kind of life we want to live, what level of curiosity, compassion, and courage we want to in, bring into our lives is related to how we encounter and manage or remove death lines. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hearing a few things there, Karen, just to summarize. We are unable to access courage and compassion when we are in a state of fear or when we're chaos is ensuing. So well, yes. we can't, we can't yes. extend that graciousness. Right. What I would say, so I bring out in the book that we always are operating at our top of our skill level. And if we have right. skill in how, learning how to manage when crises has come, our curiosity, compassion, and courage is a different level. It's just really and hard. And that's, that's where I wanted to go next. So, and then the second thing is, is that death line goes into, into action to protect us. And if we don't feel safe, and we haven't learned how to move a little bit out of a comfort zone, not into panic zone, but a little bit out of comfort zone, right. we're unable to learn the skills to move through our death line. Right, and so the death lines become more and more entrenched. And, and the right. weird part to me is they we begin to see them as safety nets. This right. is safety. I'm not gonna cross that line because I won't be safe. And so death lines, we start viewing them as our friends instead of right. our limitations, our limiters of our potential. And you know, I think it's impossible for people sometimes to see that. If they, that's why, that's why I'm such a believer in education. When we educate people that we can always be curious, compassionate, and courageous. It doesn't mean that you're gonna skydive tomorrow or bungee jump. But it does mean maybe I'll be able to stop and just ask the simple question of what I bring up in the book, what's going on here? Yeah. That, that in itself is just a big step. Like I'm not gonna close down. I'm just yep. gonna pause, breathe, and ask the mother of all questions, what's right. really going on here? What I call the total yeah. technique. Yeah, so why don't, why don't we go there? Now I know in your book on page 32, got it highlighted, highlighter's <laughs> my best friend. You talk about aces. Now, these are ACEs that you've created to help people manage their death line. So can you tell us what does ACE stand for? And then well, how did you find those four ACEs? Okay, yeah, I would love to. So it's not like childhood ACEs, like, you know, right. the time of childhood ACEs. Yeah. It's really the last uh, four letters of space, grace, pace, and place. So A-C-E, well, then the S when it's plural, but pace words, A-C-E. And what I loved about those four words is they stand for always create engagement in my thinking. Because yes. if we want to move, we have to engage. And, you know, that's really movement is where creativity happens, where innovation happens, where forgiveness happens. We need movement, just like the body needs movement. I was, yep. My nephew's a physical therapist and he always says, motion is lotion. So, I... I love that. That piece really stood out to me because when I, you know, when I saw, so again, the four aces, space, grace, pace, and place, I'm like, oh, that's where ace came from. 
But then when I read Always Create Engagement and that whole thing about movement, right? I think that's what gets us stuck when we're not able to move. We're not able to tell our body that some discomfort is okay. So I just love that. I just wanted to say that. I really, I thought that was quite brilliant. You know, I I got it only from my work and noticing with hundreds of people and noticing these things. And a lot of times in, in a corporate setting, our propensity is not to have movement outside any kind of pre-described zone. Yeah. You have to stay in these zones. And so, but at the same time, companies want to be innovative. So we create right. this conflicted state. And so that's, see, that's was I was so passionate about these deadlines because I just saw it over and over. And I'm not talking about just at one place of the organization. I saw it top leadership, middle management, frontline staff. Yep. They just were different kinds of deadlines. Right. Even with parents, just myself, just, and so the ACEs, well, I didn't come out originally thinking that create the four ACE words because I wanted to have a word that meant always create engagement. It was after I had those words that I said, oh, this is perfect because we have to always create engagement mm. if we want to really move past our deadlines and live the life we were intended to live. Right. So, yeah, and like the words came from just my experience and knowledge and what has to happen to, for transformation to take place or for change to take place. So now let's talk about the toll booth. I know the toll oh. booth related specifically, and maybe we talk about in the, in, the, in the context of the first ACE, which is space. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about space and the toll booth? Yes. So... What I've learned in my Ed Psych work and also in all, all the work we started doing in the field of creativity and innovation, and I'll say there were four things. It was just to, to kind of give a context for this. When I started working in the field of creativity, innovation, creative leadership, I was teaching, straight up teaching concepts and theories. I was facilitating projects, innovation projects, design thinking projects, and I was consulting, consulting organizations on how to bring an innovation initiative in or how to set up a, a culturally based innovation lab. So those three things, from those three bits of work with hundreds of people and lots and lots of organizations, I noticed the first thing we need is new mental space, space for new thinking. Yeah. Now, I know people say, well, of course that's what we need. That's obvious. Well, just because it's obvious doesn't mean we know how to do it. And right. so then I, how do we do that so I came up with this concept of a toll booth technique because I say in the book only because I had an experience with a toll booth and yep. it just inspired me that when we go through a toll booth, we have to pause, slow down, change lanes, change lanes, yep. slow down, stop and pay the toll. And in this case, my toll was only a dime, a silly little dime. I just laughed out loud. But anyway, <laughs> I thought, wow, this is, this is what we have to do when we need new mental space. We have to change the lane we're in slow down and pay the toll. So I called the toll booth technique is to pause, breathe, and the toll is ask the mother of all questions, what's really going on here? Right, and um, and it's fair to say though, Karen, too, for those of us who travel on a toll yeah. highway, we can get transponders yeah. that yeah. allow us to zip through right. and not have to pause. No, and that's, a, that's such a great, great comment because that as I was going down a 408 here in Florida, and I realized the transponder was out 
of the car. For, that was when we still had these trans. Somehow, I don't know, when my boys took it or something. And I thought, darn it, I'm going to have to go over the toll, to the toll lane. And I just to change lanes, slow down. And then after I had that kind of, it was while I was working with this Deathline book that I, and, and the, the Deathline theory that I thought, oh, this is a great metaphor for what we need to do to create space is we got to change lanes, slow down, pay the right. toll, pause, breathe, ask the mother of all questions. And now every time I go through one of the, I, the transponder, go through the express lane, I think, wow, I just shot through that. What did I miss? Yeah. Because I, I think in life, we're always looking for the express lane. I, I don't exactly. And, and I think of, of just life in, in, in the business world. It's like it's about efficiency and how fast can you get things done. And so, you know, what I took from this is we need toll booths. Maybe not like a toll booth all the time, every yeah. time. But yeah. when, we, when we're too focused on using that transponder to get us through everything, we miss an opportunity. Right. And I like that you said we don't need it all the time. So my kind of instructive point is when you're trying to create something new change something do something different that's when you're going to hit death lines mm. and that's when you need new mental space right so, uh, technique so yeah space people need new mental space and we we actually know that intellectually but like all innovation like there's not a company around that doesn't want to be innovative but research shows that most companies and leaders don't know how to make that happen not right. that they don't want it to happen and so that's what keeps me busy. But also a lot of times when I am asked, it's like, can you teach my team the theories of creativity or how to be creative? And we only have like, let's see, it's Thursday. We have two hours. Can you do it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. We can, yeah. we can try. <laughs> now, what's the second, what's the second ace? I think it's grace, right? Yes, it's grace. And I started the idea after being in the field of Probably my third year, I worked with a lot of people. We had already created one lab, and I was working with the pro sports team, creating a lab for them. And I noticed that we had to forgive each other for, you know, people making mistakes or miscalculating, or whatever. And I started realizing yes. if we don't have forgiveness, we're not moving anywhere. Right. And so I thought, you know, th the core of creativity is forgiveness, grace. Without grace, there is no movement. Without, and, and you just start thinking about, it. you notice how many times people, like, well, just yesterday, I had, was at a restaurant and it was the kind of restaurant where you would get your food and pay and then you go sit down. Yep. And the lady, right when we were getting, my husband and I were getting to pay, a lady came up and said, you didn't give me my right, right change. Why didn't you give me my right change? And there was, of course, a teenager working behind the counter, which I thought they probably don't use cash that often. Right. So she's saying, I'm sorry. And she was trying to figure out what change to give the lady. I felt compassion for the lady as well as the the teenager behind the cash register because she said, I don't know why you did this. How come you didn't give me the right change? I don't understand it. And the girl just froze there. She was looking at her like, I, 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 I wasn't stealing it. I didn't try. And I saw everything freeze. Right. And that's just an example of when there's change or when there's something that doesn't go our way and we need to modify our viewpoint. Grace is the oil that makes it happen. And without it really grace, is. it's pretty grim. And people extended us grace. I mean, we've all been extended grace. Yeah. And I come to see grace, AKA forgiveness, is the core of so many things and of core of creativity and innovation because nothing is innovated just the first time, right? That's it, our first yeah. time, right? We're gonna do the whole thing smooth. No, it's lots of bumps and bobbles and mistakes along the way that are actually learning points. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's. I, I remember reading a book. I think it was by Desmond Tutu and his daughter. Oh, about forgiveness. And mm-hmm. you're right. Like we can't. We all know intellectually we're not perfect, but yet we can very easy stay in a place of judgment or hold on, get stuck in these death lines. Right. And, you know, grace, forgiveness. What also came up for me there, too, is a little bit of like compassion or generosity as well that are a big piece of that. I wanted to put a story in the book, but my publisher thought, well, we have enough, Karen. So there's a story about this. My husband and I worked taught at university overseas. Oh, I taught. He did. He had another job overseas in Indonesia. And I, I love this part. Indonesians are wonderful, friendly people. And they also kind of have a, you know what? It's going to work out. Don't worry. Be happy song that came from Jamaica. But this is we're talking about Indonesia. And there was a airlines, Garuda Airlines. Very fabulous airlines. Very safe record. Well, they had this rule that if it was storming, tropical storms, they weren't going to fly. And if you were scheduled, we just didn't fly. Well, my husband and I got to kind of a humorous view of the, when you get to an airline, you see the, the list of flights. We said, these are just suggested things that might happen. <laughs> I would get a kick out of English people, Australians, Americans would come to the counter and be yep. told, we're not going out today. You got to come back tomorrow. It's like, wait, no, it says we're going out, but we're not going. This is before American flights became more used to delays and all that. And then they'd say, well, then we need a hotel voucher or we need meal vouchers. And they're like, what are those? We just come back tomorrow. And it's like, they have a saying, Tita Apa Apa in Indonesia, Indonesian, which means, you know, basically it translates as no, what, what, but it's like, you know what? This too shall pass, just move move on with it. Right, right. And these foreigners would get so mad. It's like, no, you're not understanding. You've got to give me a hotel room or you got to fly out today. And they're like, yeah, sorry, there's a bigger picture here. It's not safe. <laughs> so I just thought that was such a great example of two ideas clashing where grace was needed. Um, mm. To understand that you're in a culture that that's what they do. These planes, I mean, it was kind of just a DNA part of their culture too. Right, and right. For Americans, we all the Americans that I knew working over there, it's like, yeah, that's something you got to learn. You just have yeah. to learn. What I found in working in the world of creativity, teaching people the creative theories and innovative practice. Grace was a big part of it that we had to learn. And intellectually, again, we know it. We know we're supposed to be nice and pleasant people and workable people, collaborative people. But it's hard when our death lines are hit and we're, our entitlements are challenged. And I just think to not, again, stop taking ourselves so seriously. Take the yep. work seriously, but not ourselves. And it goes so far. There's so much more that can happen when we have grace. The sky's the limit with there's grace. Where there's no grace, so true. Not much can happen. It's just yeah, lines so are drawn and we're stuck. Wow. Now the last two. Let's move on to the last two because they sound similar. There's one letter difference, yes, but I know the next one is pace. Yeah. Which hit me pretty pretty smack between the eyes. Can you can you talk about pace? Right. And I would not have thought this before. I'd worked with so many organizations and people. Pace. We seem to have one pace. We're going to get it done now, and it's going to be. We got to get it as fast as we can. Right. Well, sometimes that's great, but it's always in the context of when we're trying to to create something new, or make something better, or solve a problem. Fast might work, but also slow might be the answer. And to be able to ask that question, what is the proper pace we need for what we're facing right now? 
Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it pause? And just to ask the question, with all these, I, I think they, I put a question with all of them, like for space, yep. what new space do I need, Grace? Where do I need yep. to stand, Grace? This one is what should be our pace for, for the optimum of what we're trying to do. And it's funny, several people have said to me after reading this book, who I'd worked with before, it's like, wow, that is so simple, but not often asked. Well, and here's what I find, Karen, is there is a fear of saying anything but fast. Oh my gosh, that is so true. Like, I can't, like, oh, how dare I say this is going to take six months. When in fact, you know, that's what we need to hear. And we need to bring that reality into more conversations. But, and I found that on the pace one, which became really important to me, is so many people were afraid to actually address it. Like you said, or say, okay, we have this challenge, we got to get it solved, but it's going to take us a year probably. How can we tell that to our boss? Or we didn't tell it to our boss. We just yep. skirted the issue and now we're in trouble because we, we're not even close to being done. Yep. And so that's what, for me, with dealing with deadlines, managing deadlines, becoming aware of deadlines, is to be able to ask these questions. What pace is needed for the optimum outcome we want. And yeah, that's the important part, the optimum yeah. outcome. And actually you could say yeah. for everything, what new mental space do I need? And again, it seems so it just seems so like obvious that we know it, but it's it's embodying it. So what new mental space do I need? That's quite a question when you stop and think about it. Where does yep. grace need to be applied here? Instead of just firing people or taking people off projects or Whatever there's, oh, we could talk about that for a long time because I have a whole theory on how grace, extending grace, is one of the best professional developments you can give, and how people because without grace, again, we're stuck. But then also pace, it takes courage to ask that question. So I'm so glad you said that because yeah. I saw it too, and or people say, Karen, you know, we need you. Can you can we get it done this fast? And I'd say, well, so my answer is to a lot of corporate gigs. You might say we get. I just yep. we're going to try to get as far as maybe to a I- new idea to explore. Will you be happy with that? And maybe create a prototype, a rough prototype about that new idea and explore that idea because then iterate the idea forward, prototype it, get feedback about it. That seems to be something people can stomach. But That's otherwise, good. it's like, we got to get this solved. we got to get it solved. Yeah. It's solved yesterday. So yep. I, I do tell people, well, what kept you from solving it yesterday? <laughs> I mean, it, why, if... It's like, it's that easy to solve it. But yeah, exactly. These are just ways we get into thinking these mind traps, what I like to call mind minds. Like, you know, land right. minds, we have these mind Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But then as I read in a little bit more, I was like, oh, okay, yes. this isn't as obvious. I am so glad you said that. Yes, because I thought the same thing too at first. Doesn't matter. But place informs behavior. And yeah. when we created the, the first innovation lab I ever did, it was it was kind of a deliberately kind of scrappy on Disney. Yes. Because okay. the hospital that it was in it was very, very beautifully, beautiful, fancy, everything just beautiful. So we did it the opposite because we wanted people to go into a different space, a different place, sorry, go into a different place, experience yeah. So we get comfortable with places. Let's just meet in the boardroom or let's just... Meet yes. my interests. To challenge that always, where is the ble- best place we can be for optimum outcome? 
oh, you mean we got to get up and walk down the hall or we got to walk out to the garden or we got to drive over here? Well, that's yep. too much work. When we, when we talk about the optimum outcome, is it too much work? Because to get optimum outcomes means we have to change things. Right. And so that's why I came up with those four. It's interesting. Uh, someone read my book and sent me a message and said, Karen, I have another one to, ver- to put before space is why don't we have face? Face. You have to face who you are. Oh. I thought, that's awesome. I said, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll tell my publisher. We got to do edition two. <laughs> no, I've that's got a cool. lot of ideas from people. Yeah. Um, and one. A lot of creativity. You're yeah. just, look at that. It created, it, it created new things. It, and I've been so touched and honored when someone reads the book and then sends me a message. I think that's so, I love it. So I wrote back yeah. and said, you know, I, I love that idea of face. And then another thing that someone who read this book, I had taught, taken them through a, a seven-week course I do on the people that want to work in an innovation lab. And the book had just come out, so I gave everybody a book, and I said, read it, and let's, let's apply the concepts. And to about the second to the last week, one of the group members came. Her name was Arlene. She had just been promoted two weeks before within her group, within her department. She was so excited. And her first department meeting, she was so excited and she came in and there was kind of a coolness to the team. And they kind of, they didn't respond to her very well and she went back to her office, she was so discouraged and she tried again and there was a coolness. And so she told her friend, Julia, who was also in the group, I don't think this was right for me. I'm gonna send a message to my boss and ask me to give me my old job back. Wow. And Julia, her friend said, no, Arlene, you're getting caught in the web of all their death lines. They can't deal with the fact that you got oh. promoted. Because I've heard them say it. They were upset that you got promoted and they didn't. So their coolness to you is their death lines. You're getting caught up in the web of their death lines. When they shared that with me, I thought that was so powerful. That is. That has to be in the book too. Yeah, getting caught up in other people's web yeah. of death lines. And then they activate oh. our death lines. And then, so she was such an awesome, or she is such an awesome person. And so she said, it took a lot of courage for me. She said, so I took the book here and I went back and I thought, where are my death lines? I have to identify them. And she said, I could not be rejected by my group. I could not bear that they wouldn't like me. And so she said, I almost pulled back and stepped down from this job so they would like me. And then she said, that's crazy because it was really nothing to do with them. And she's really a wonderful person. And she said, that helped me so much. I said, well, you helped me by sharing that story. And I want to share that story with others. So they gave me permission to share the story. Oh, that's great. But isn't that interesting? We get caught in the web of other people's lines and then ours get activated and then we're all, we all get stuck. And And then we're just stuck in this loop and then burnout and then unhappiness and all of these other outcomes that we don't want. Karen, is there anything to wrap up all of your aces or or anything to sort of share with the listeners or watchers about how to put this all together? What I've noticed is when we stop and celebrate our gifts, our actual innate gifts that we have, and our personalities and commit to sharing them with the world because if you don't share them no one else will be able to share them because they're unique to you and the world will be lost to them so by using the concept of the death line to commit to saying I'm gonna notice when I get upset or defensive or pull back 
what's really going on here? Asking that question so that you can rise and live at your highest potential. Because it's so easy not to in a world where it's fast paced and we're very focused on profit and we got to get things done yesterday. But to realize you have a gift, everybody has a gift, two, three, four gifts. And if we can create a mental awareness that our death lines keep us from sharing our gifts. And I'm not talking about breaking out of what you're doing and doing everything differently, but slowly merging into what might you become or what might you change to open pathways to let your true potential show. Yeah. And I, I think it's very exciting because everybody's creative with leadership potential. And so yes. one of my team created this awesome little soundbite that said, knowing your death line is your lifeline. So I love it. Oh, nice. I, I said, We're going to so- leave it. We're gonna, that's a great way to, to wrap that. Knowing your death line is your lifeline. Yeah. I, Richard, our, our, that is on our team. I said, Richard, that's awesome. He said, Karen, that's what we have to say. Knowing your death line is yep. your lifeline. So I said, oh, yeah. And now, Karen, where can people find your book? How can they get their hands on Amazon, it? Amazon, you know, the great, the great bookstore. <laughs> All right. And it, it, but you, yeah, if you put the death line, you might get some fun other books. You put Tilstra death line or Karen, or just put Karen Tilstra. It, this will come up. And the All other right. book, 201 activities to that's right collaboration, boost creativity and fuel innovation this is fun these are drawn so much from our experience and, and that one just came out right yeah it, it came out august 4. Oh, yeah. wow. fact, so it was really tight because we were we'd asked to come to phoenix to do uh, to a teacher's convention to present this book and i said okay I, i'm just gonna have faith that it's gonna be out because amazon kept saying we'll have it done and they delivered it to me on the morning of august 6th <laughs> August oh, beautiful. They actually sent it out to, to Phoenix. We were in Phoenix. Nice. Can you believe it? In August, we were in Phoenix. But yeah, wow. the death line stopping the number one all-time killer of human potential. One well, one is this one of the thing that it's, I'm going to make a yeah. bold statement about this that I've yep. learned since getting the book out. You can learn all the best leadership techniques. You can learn all the skills and tools. But if you don't have the mindset that you have death lines and are committed to addressing yep. them, those leadership tools will always be, they'll be minimized. They will never yes. reach their full potential within you if you don't deal with your death lines. I love it. I love it. Agree with you wholeheartedly there, Karen. Thank you. I am going to, I'm going to go by after we get off this, your new book, because I think anytime we can bring new, new activities and support each other with, with the work. So I will awesome. be doing that. Now we wrap up every call or every podcast with three questions. Are you game to answer those three yes. questions? And these are three questions that are out of my book, Evolve, The Path to Trauma-Informed Leadership. Three elements that definitely relate to Deathline. And so they have to do with self-awareness, self-regulation, and co-regulation. So when we are aware of those three skills, that will help us navigate our Deathline if I were to combine our two our two approaches so first question for you Karen can you share an experience or a lesson that you learned that really gave you a heightened awareness of yourself okay (laughs) I can think of several things but one when my boys were in high school they all were involved in the dramas the theatrical presentations and I loved it and I always volunteered and helped 
And one particular year was cheaper by the dozen that we decided to do a dinner theater. So if you want to ramp up a high school play, add a dinner theater to it. And so the parents who, so we got the whole group. This drama teacher was good. She was very specific. She was very, she had high standards and she tolerated no nonsense. So the kids were ready and the parents who were involved in the cooking fell below the standard of what this drama teacher felt. And she was very, very upset by it. During the serving, one parent dropped a whole platter of food and it just was very, very upsetting, this drama teacher. So after the, the production was all done, us parents who had helped got, were getting together, or there was a core team of us parents. And we were going to, we were writing thank you notes for everyone that participated, it helped and all that. And the drama teacher said, we're not sending anything to the parents that cooked. She said, I'm so furious with them. They did a terrible job. They ruined the night. In her mind, it was a big deal. And it took the parents back because there was five of us parents there. And she was, the drama teacher was a big personality. Yep. And so everyone just stood, sat there and stared and they started to move on. And okay, we're not going to thank them. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, you know, we need to thank them. Okay, no, so what? Big deal. The, mo the meal didn't come off as something like from the Ritz-Carlton or whatever. And yep. so I just kept thinking, we, we can't just leave it at this. But none of the other parents, nobody else pushed back. And I was a lot younger then, so <laughs> I, I was more intimidated. But I said, no, we got we to gotta do something. So I said, we need to thank these parents. And the drama teacher said, no, we don't, Karen. I'm not interested. I'm not going to thank them. And so I said, well, I'll just thank them myself. And then the drama teacher was kind of staring, and the other parents kind of looked at me and said, you know what? Yes, let's thank them. And everyone then agreed, we're going to thank them. Well, nice. on the way out, parents said, Karen, thanks so much for, for speaking up. You know, we didn't think it was right not to thank them. Okay, that sounds like such a silly little minute experience. But from there, I took away a lesson that sometimes we have to speak up when our heart is telling us to. And that I was right what I did, even though I went way out of my death lines to actually yep. confront her. And um, it just taught me I had that sense Maybe I'm a more empathetic person than she was. And for me, speaking up changed, changed. Now, here's the outcome of that. Because the parents were thanked, two of the parents came to the principal and said that they had felt bad. They kind of messed up and they gave a big donation to her department. And they said, wow, well, she was so gracious and wrote us a thank you letter. That, isn't that hilarious? So I, I, I have taken that with me and thought, you know, sometimes, you know, we have to trust ourselves, even though yep. it doesn't feel safe to trust ourselves. Yeah, anyway. it's a great example. Thank yep. you. Thank you, Karen. So the second question, what is a practice or ritual that you use to help you stay regulated or to bring you back to a place of calm? Well, I try to use my toll booth technique. <laughs> nice. Okay. Breathe and ask what's really going on here. Right. With me, with, around me. So pause, breathe and ask well, the mother of all questions, what's really going on? Yeah. Oh, love it. Love it. And now last but not least, what is a song or genre of music that makes you feel connected to something bigger than yourself? <laughs> I love music. There's so many. But okay, oh. this is kind of a random uh, input on this. I have come to love Randy Rainbow. Do you know who he is? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. He grew up in the 
His dad worked in Broadway. He grew up on Broadway. And so he knows all the Broadway songs. And he's been making little music videos his whole life. And so he started making political music videos that just either side could appreciate. Probably the Democrats more than the Republicans. But still, he's had a big, big... This all happened during COVID. So he'll say something happens and he'll put some Broadway song to it. Like, how do you solve a problem like Maria? From yep. music? How do you solve a problem like North Korea? I mean, oh, well, wow. So I always think it's crazy. But I have gotten such a kick out of him that sometimes I'm thinking, wow, there's the political scene. It's like the world over has gone kind of crazy. Anyway, some, I'll still listen to him. And he, he animates it all out. He's a one-man show. He's been on 60 Minutes now. And just he has done a world tour or North America tour. And right. I just really appreciate his creativity. Now, I'm not saying any political side. I'm just saying he yep. actually... I I guess, I mean, I love all kinds of music, but if I were to say at the top of my head, I've appreciated what Randy Rainbow has done with music. He's taken music, uh, songs from musicals and applied them to situations that are difficult in life and made these hilarious, yeah, just hilarious things. Oh, cool. I'll have to check it out. It sounds, well, and it, I mean, it's such a great way to wrap up because right. we've been talking about creativity and yeah. innovation. Oh, right. It sounds like Randy Rainbow emulates and that's all that. his real name, too. That is his given name. But a little warning, he can be crude. Okay. He can be crude right. sometimes. So if it right. bothers you, just be prepared. But if it doesn't bother right. you, you have to appreciate what he's done. He was the first one to ever, two years ago, to be nominated multiple times for Emmys off of his YouTube. No one ever had been nominated oh, wow. for Emmy off of YouTube stuff. Oh, cool. And he wow. just, he's a nice guy too. He's just, I read about, I've read about him and he's kind of young, but yeah, so. <laughs> cool, well, I'm gonna have to look up this Randy Rainbow. Rainbow. What's that? All right, I'm gonna have to look him up. Yeah, be prepared yeah. to laugh. You can cringe a little too, but still, he, he has been very creative with music. Oh, cool. And I love music. Well, Karen, thank you so much for coming on oh, and sharing yeah. all of your insight and practical knowledge around really how we can create, innovate, and really just show up as the best version of ourselves in our workplaces. Well, it's been so fun uh, talking with you. I've loved being here and thank you for inviting me and, and for also sharing with me that the book was insightful to you. It, it's very it meaningful. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, and I will say for people too, there are some books that are, I'd say heavier to get through. I found this very practical and also very easy to read and get through. Oh, there is good. a real person, personal connection there too. So yeah, it, it really, it really provided some, some great insight and, and it was a good read. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. This was an honor to be here. All right. And if you are listening to this episode and you liked what you heard, please leave us a comment. Well, you know what? If you didn't like what you heard either, leave us a comment. We'll hear it either way. But yeah, please like and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you again on our next episode. So I'm thinking of all the times in my day that being innovative or more creative or less stuck would serve me and the people I work with better. I hope that you gain some insight from listening to Karen's methodology, the death line, and in particular, the four aces to help us move through these invisible yet powerful blockages that we all have, be it space, grace, pace, or place. They all can help us find ways through 
to push through that little bit of discomfort and on the other side comes some really amazing things. So I know for me, the one that sticking with me is pace. Does it really, what requires, what pace is required for the optimal outcome? Which one is sticking with you? Let us know. Thanks again for tuning in to the podcast. It's a real pleasure to be bringing this work to you. And if you have any suggestions on topics, or guests, please send me a note either on my Instagram, you can reach out to carolyn at carolynsuara.com. I'm interested in guests who are bringing new levels of self-awareness, who are integrating self-regulation and co-regulation practices or philosophies into how they lead. This is the future of where leadership needs to be more consistently. It's what's going to help us find the new solutions to this new world that we live in. Thanks again for tuning in.